Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus Saturday. Mick Dumpke with me again. Mick, the last time we did this, it's one of our most popular shows we're doing. I just want you to know, it was one of hey, our most popular I, shows. I bring the goods, I guess, huh? <laughs> he brings the goods. Mick Dumpke and I have been partners in crime and journalism for many years. I don't want to say how many years it is because Mick tries to pretend he's younger than he is. Uh, but uh, it's been a long time. And we do a hideout show together. We do. And when will the next show be, Mick? It'll be this coming Tuesday, which is what, the 4th? Uh, yes, I think that's right. June 4th. June 4th at 6.30 at p.m. The hideout, 1354 North Wabansia, West Wabansia. West Wabansia, yeah. And, Where uh, did North come from? I, I don't have no idea. I was thinking of North Avenue, but that's not relevant. That 1354 is. West Wabansia. All right, one of the things, we'll be talking a lot about Rahm Emanuel. Get to him. This is our rundown. Mick and I go through uh, some of the headlines the last couple of weeks. Some of the things in our minds that are not even headlines. Uh, I have. That no one cares about but us. But that's <laughs> but all right. We are going to make segment. people care about it, that's correct? That's right. We're, we're, we're Big Tent. Come on in, everybody. All right, so the number one thing on our minds, uh, we decided before we uh, went on the air here, is the city council showdown that occurred yesterday. We're doing this on a Thursday, so yesterday be Wednesday, where Lori Lightfoot uh, over, over presided over her first city council meeting, and uh, Alderman Ed Burke tried to show her who was the man, and he's got up and uh, well, Mick, you take it away. You were well, there. I'm not sure what he tried to show her. People have uh, people who are junkies uh, or even just casual followers of the news by this time have probably read the account or seen some version of it. Uh, Basically, all that was on the agenda for the city council meeting this week, like you said, the first one in this new administration, newly seated, newly sworn in aldermen, um, the whole whole new city council is there. And the only thing really on the agenda was setting the new rules for the city council, their own rules, their committee assignments, who's going to lead the committees. So it was basically procedural stuff. Um, but they're leading up to it. Uh, now Mayor Lightfoot uh, had worked to try to put her own people in charge of the committees and had worked with some of those allies to establish some new rules in the city council, such as all committee meetings are now going to be live streamed according to these rules, things like that to try to open up the, the governmental process. Um, most of the time, every time I've seen this happen since I've been following uh, Chicago City Hall politics, it's pro forma. It's always a done deal. Never hear anybody utter a peep. The mayor is clearly in control of the process, aided and abetted by, uh, at that time, his uh, key allies, uh, most of the, the, the old council veterans who help him usher everything through. This time around, people were wondering what uh, mm -hmm. would happen between the new mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and uh, someone she's basically stated as her enemy, Ed Burke, the uh, city council dean, um, who uh, was finance committee chairman for decades until Rahm Emanuel finally decided <laughs> to depose him in January after uh, federal prosecutors charged him with attempted extortion. So for one thing, Ben, 
I, I know you don't go to a lot of city council meetings these days. Uh, when's the last time you've been there? Uh, that was be the understatement. I do not believe I've been at a Chicago City Council meeting since. Uh, I can't remember. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I ever saw a city council meeting in the age of Rom. I just can't remember. No, I must have gone to one. When did they honor the <laughs> Shaw brothers? That's when I was there. Robert one, Shaw of was, whom, one of whom is now deceased. Yeah, but it was honoring William Shaw, the late state representative from the south suburbs, and his brother Robert Shaw, my old pal, who is now uh, retired, but it was the Alderman of the Ninth Ward. And they were honoring William. And I saw Bob Shaw yesterday. He was prowling the... Uh, Prowling the city council chambers yesterday. Bob Shaw was at the city council. There were several former aldermen who were uh, seen in person. I have person to say this: uh, I'm a big fan of Robert Shaw for many reasons. One, he is truly one of the funniest observers of Chicago politics. I've always wished we could get him on the stage at the hideout. He uh, he would be a blast to have on. Although he, he's been mumbling a lot lately, so it's hard to understand what he's saying. Uh, but uh, two, he knows how the game is played, Mick. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. He knows what they're you just, doing. You, you have a soft spot for people who are characters. Yes, I do. And, and, and uh, I totally understand. Well, here's something else. This is really bizarre and weird. I have to uh, to say this, Mick. I know we're in a tangent with a tangent, because there was must have been a reason you were asking me why I haven't been in this. When was the last time I was city council? But I actually, how do I say this without like being struck down by all my uh, uh, progressive liberal friends? I actually was not really feeling it when the other aldermen were sort of cheering Lori on or like, yeah, go get him, Lori. Because my attitude is this. You take on the man when he's the man. D- don't take on the man when he's not the man anymore. It's not, that's not. Are you talking uh, about Ed Burke? Yeah, this time Burke. Being the man? Where were they six months ago? Ed Burke got indicted. Remember, they had the, the fundraiser, everybody lining up to give him their money. Right. You know, now suddenly he's been discredited because Lori Lightfoot won 75% of the vote, and the alderman figured out, oh my God, he's not popular in this town. I know what I'll do. I'll distance myself from Ed Burke. Where were they when we needed them, Mick? Where, where, where's anybody in this town when we need well, them? Well, that's the always the question, isn't it? Uh, many of the same people you're talking about were there voting in favor of the parking meter deal. They were there uh, voting in favor, rubber stamping most of Mayor Manuel's initiatives. Now there's a a new boss and uh, they're lighting (laughs) up behind her. So that's how it goes. Before we started this tangent within a tangent, (laughs) tangent. I ask you about being there because um, people who've been to city council at any point in the last 25, at least 25 years, will know that Aldermen are arranged in ward order um, as you're as if you were sitting from the mayor's uh, rostrum looking out, it would go from uh, first ward on your left wrapping around in numerical order, except for Ed Burke. That's correct. Who, um, while the alderman of the 14th ward would always use his position as finance committee chair to uh, literally seat himself at the front front and center of the council. So he basically had the prime seat in the city council. Yeah. Well, now that he's just a lowly alderman, no more uh, of a council, of a uh, committee chairman, uh, he is back in his spot ah. um, right there smack between the alderman of the 13th ward and the alderman of the 15th ward. So uh, Marty just, Quinn and Ray Lopez. That's right. So he's just one of the people... Um, one of the one of the many aldermen in the crowd at this wow. point in time. That's how so. Long story short, yesterday, uh, 
uh, Lori Lightfoot calls on her designated uh, chair of the Rules Committee, Michelle Harris, who is also the designated chair of the Rules Committee <laughs> under Rahm Emanuel. Meet the new boss. That's right. Uh, there's a who line in there somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so she introduces the proposal for the new council uh, rules. And Ed Burke basically stands up to be acknowledged and wants to make this point that he thinks there are some serious flaws in the language of these rules. And uh, it comes down to, it repeatedly says he or his in the rules, and he says he's bothered by the fact that it's not gender inclusive. It should be he or she, his or her, even though this language has existed basically in these rules for years. Or they. Some people want to be referred to as they. He should have really gone out. He should and have really gone on to it. But clearly, that wasn't the point. <laughs> yeah, no. His, the point. Yeah. I, th- I, I believe the point was simply to stand up and interrupt the process and say, "Hey, look, I'm." Still still here and I'm going to mess with you in any way I possibly can. I thought it was an absolutely pathetic lame. It's just like, that's the only thing you could come up with. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, it gave Lori an opportunity to uh, look like the, the tough mayor she wanted to present to herself as. So she resorted immediately to prosecutor mode. Yeah. Um, Alderman Burke, you've been a member of the city council for about 50 years. Have you not? Yeah. Yes, I have. And you're also a lawyer, are you not? Yes, I am. Well, then you should know that anywhere it says in the municipal <laughs> yeah. code, it refers to he. It's also uh, refers to he and she. It's gender inclusive already, blah, 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 blah. And when he tried to um, add something else, she basically said, thank you. We'll take that under consideration. Moving on. Yeah. End of story. Yeah. Well, so. you know what she's shown now? This is the second time I could think of and add others. Uh, she's quick on her feet. I'm going to give her credit. And uh, this happened, Rob Markwick, my good friend, Rob Markwick, uh, confronted her at a press conference she was holding during the campaign, the first campaign before we got to the runoff. Uh, he challenged her. He, of course, was for Pregnical, and she shot him down right there and then. It was unscripted, just like this thing. She had to act quick on her feet, impromptu, uh, improv. And uh, I was like, impressed then, I'm impressed now. She's no lightweight. I mean, she can counterpunch. That's right. And she doesn't need a script. She can, uh, you know, and it's, I think she's more effective than Daly, who probably, <laughs> can you imagine Daly? If somebody got, uh, Mr. Mayor, it should be he or she. <laughs> Red hey, da- Daly came up with some pretty good lines along the way, too, Ben. They didn't always make sense to <laughs> okay. any other person. Uh, uh, they needed to be translated into English. Yeah. Oh, my God, that was a great line once you translate it. Do you remember he made fun of uh, John Cass's leg man one time for being bald? He went on a whole tangent. He's bald, bald, bald. <laughs> um, Somehow or other, that's not as good as Lori Lightfoot I, doing it's, her it's Perry It's good Mason. in a different way because it's just off in another universe. Um, anyway, uh, it was an interesting <laughs> oh, moment. Now, my question for you is, what do you think Ed Burke was, what do you think his objective was? His objective, wow, great question. I hadn't thought about that. His objective, one, was to embarrass her by being more politically correct, in quotes, than she was. I think that's her objective. Two, as as you said, to let the world know that he, Ed Burke, is there, he exists, and he is watching over everybody. Uh, And um, three, I would say 
then this one is pure delusional if he actually thought this had a chance of coming to try to give make himself like a rallying cry for other aldermen to join him in his insurrection against Lori Lightfoot, which will not happen in a million years because aldermen uh, are not as dumb as people think they are. They're smarter <laughs> and they realize that the lady got 75% of the vote in the last election. This guy's one step away from getting indicted. Hmm, let me think. Right. Which one has more power? Who should I line up behind? Yeah. So that's, that's what I think he was up to. What do you think? Well, I just wanted to raise the question. Is there any possibility this was some sort of trap that he was attempting to set? Um, maybe this is overthinking it. I just It's just a brainstorm that occurred to me. Because as I said, I agree with everything that you put out there. That was, that was all my instinct. It's just... Again, trying to stay on the map, just trying to like, you know, go up and, and sort of push her a little bit, see how much she's going to push back, mm-hmm. um, test the waters, whatever your metaphor is. But then it occurred to me, is he was he in some way trying to show that uh, Lori, who rode this wave of promised reforms into the mayor's office, that she is going to be the same kind of boss as the mayors who preceded her. Uh, Did he lay some sort of trap? It was so, in my mind, again, it was so feeble. It was such a pathetic thing to bring up. It was so, uh, so, such a lame issue of all the other issues going on that it was just like, people in the press box, Ben, were saying, did she pay him to do that? Well, because that, it yeah, just that, gave her such an opportunity. That occurred to me too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, put, I'll say this to what you said. Uh, the notion is uh, there's this attitude in Chicago politics that nobody is legit, that absolutely everybody is uh, is corrupt, and so therefore there's no reason why I shouldn't be corrupt. This is a, such a Chicago mentality, right. Mick. I've encountered this since I moved to this t- city. So effectively, if what you're saying is true, uh, then what Ed Burke is trying to do, Ray Lopez, the Alderman of 15th Ward, tried to do this as well. They're now trying to show all these reformers Right. who were talk, talking all hall and mighty about how the city council should not be a rubber stamp. Now look at them. They're rubber stamping Lori. Okay. So they, they have a, they have a point. And in, in that way, they have a point. Absolutely have a point uh, that the city council, I listen, you, you, it started the first thing you said, ex- accentuates that point. You said, uh, uh, Ed Burke, Rom allowed Ed Burke to be the head of the finance uh, committee until he deposed, uh, dis- uh, what, what was the word you used? Not deposed or whatever the word was. I can't read my own writing. Deposed, dethroned, D- yeah. Dethroned him uh, back in, after he got indicted. And I was, ju- I didn't want to cut you off, but I'm like, who is it to Rom to kick out the head? That's correct. Uh, it's your favorite exactly. point. That you make at the hideout stage almost once a month, uh, and and so yes, there's a point to that. There's no credibility when the person articulating that point is Ed Burke, who's been a tool for every mayor uh, over the last thirty years, it, knowing that in exchange they're going to look the other way while he shakes down businesses to force them to be his property tax attorney. That's right. But what? Yeah, it's not a but. It's an and and. What this whole, the incident yesterday and the, where we appear to be headed next at City Hall, what that got me thinking about is what, what is reform here? Is it about getting rid of individuals who themselves are corrupt or is it 
changing the structure of the system or is it both? Because mm-hmm. if it's both, we're a long way away. If it's about getting rid of individuals, it's if it's about um, diminishing the power of Ed Burke and his ally Ray Lopez or anybody else, it's, if it's about like the old guard people who still have their little fiefdoms and patronage operations, we're going to cut them out while we bring Scott Waggis back and a whole bunch of reformers in. Um, or is it about having a viable legislative body? Because yesterday, what we saw was the diminishment of Ed Burke and his alleged corruption. We know some of the shadiness that he engages in, his unethical behavior, alleged illegal corruption, we'll put it that way, is at the end of that. But what we also saw was a legislative body that is just as limpid as it's ever been. Well, all right, and to that point, and this is a minor thing, I almost feel ridiculous mentioning, but I should mention it. Uh, one of the cop-outs was they did it on a voice vote. They didn't have a roll call. That's right. A roll call. Who is in favor of this council lineup? And uh, so now that we're not even sure, like there's equivocation over, was it four people who said no? Right. Or three people who said no? <laughs> the first time there was reported, they said there were four no's. I remember I was on the air with Dennis. I go, who are the four no's? Like, Peel was a no. Burke was a no. Uh, Raylo was a, who was the fourth? And now uh, sometimes Franz Spielman reports, no, it actually was just three knows so everybody's already right. saying boss mayor i didn't they say i was a no but i that's wasn't right. a no. i swear that's to right. god she totally gave cover to to everybody and um you know what the, uh, this is okay a, a, a tangent within a tangent within a tangent but as long as we're talking about the city council this notion that somehow other scott wag is back was offensive and that's and he 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 rubbed them he didn't play well with others mick that that irritates me to no end because Scott Waggis, I've known him for a long time, is truly one of the most courteous gentlemen in Chicago politics. Very respectful. He allows you to finish your sentences. He thinks about what you ask. He responds. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, we, just, don't, we don't do that. We don't allow people to finish their sentences, do we? Yeah. Sometimes. Usually, sometimes. <laughs> But I was actually, trying to cut you off to make a joke. Oh, that was but a anyway, joke. Yeah. I was like actually thinking. I thought you were serious. I'm like, was there a time when we cut somebody off at the hideout? Uh, Tony Prickle would still be talking, to ducking my question. <laughs> if we didn't if cut we her didn't off. If we didn't cut her off. All right. So, um, but so... There, I'll say he doesn't get along with a Matt O'Shea was saying this, uh, the alderman from the 19th Ward in an interview with Fran Spielman, and I uh, forget who the other person was saying it. Uh, well, Anthony Beale. Anthony Beale, yes, yeah, saying it. And all he did, in my humble opinion, was all he did was dare to disagree with the whatever uh, marching order the previous mayor had given that the city council had were following. So he made them look bad. Because he exposed the idiocy of the programs that they were voting for. That is certainly the way you and I see it. Others see him as someone who tries to upstage them. Now, listen, to me, that's the same thing as uh, when people um, refer to others as uppity or something like that. It's just kind of like it's it's a whole layered kind of thing. What really bothers me about it is the fact that it's been repeated by journalists. It's one thing if you're saying other aldermen, um, basically they are afraid of having Scott in there because he hasn't played ball for, uh, what has he been in there, 12 years since he's been in the council. Um, and so this is the way they say that is that he doesn't get along with people because he doesn't play ball. But then I just saw just the shorthand people started saying, because he doesn't get along with yeah. people. And that seems really unfair to All Scott. All right, now, 
that is a perfect way to transition to what I the next item on our list. Unless, uh, is there anything else you want to no, say? No, you're the host. You got to keep us moving. Right. Yeah, yeah. And journalism. And I wrote about it in the reader this week. Uh, I mentioned your name in the reader. So now I realize anytime I mention your name, I'm like always amazed. I've mixed read the stories before I've read them. I go, it's out. I only read your columns when I mention them. Because it goes right to you. It's like, ding. <laughs> Mick Dumpke is mentioned. Google alert. That, that, like, all right. So that was a joke. I do read your other columns, but it is true. It I goes right a, to I you. I have a Google alert on my own name because I want to see if I'm mentioned by anyone else. I'd kind of like to know about it so in this case yeah i knew that your column was online and readable before you did apparently i, I did i read it i read it first thing this morning before i even brushed my teeth yeah. i had read your column today, i had so. used mick without his permission in this column as to set up a joke um but i wrote about seymour hirsch's book over the weekend i read his book which i, I don't know have you read it yet i have not read it all right seymour hirsch is a legendary investigative journalist uh he's been at the game he's 81 now he's been at the game mick since the 60s isn't it amazing what a run this guy I've, I've heard him speak twice he's a great character he's a great character although i i heard i think he just spoke at the bga's awards um Did he? dinner like a week or two ago and uh the reports i had was that he was all over the place but when i've heard him he's been a great speaker he's full of uh strong opinions very passionate and an amazing journalist well that's uh, how his book is very uh, opinionated and uh, a lot of great anecdotes uh sometimes he gets into the weeds but that's a whole other issue you know it's not a book report but um it, it, the the thing that uh, really uh, triggered it in my mind uh the thought with the, with the journalist is that he I don't want to give away too much about, ah, what the hell? It's just a column. I can give it away. It's not a complete. The only people who are going to read this listening are you and me. Okay. okay. Anyway, so, so Seymour Hirsch, um, when he broke the great. Spoiler Eli. alert. Yeah. Seymour Hirsch book about his life. Get ready, everybody. No, no. He Spoiler broke the Eli uh, massacre story. I'm like, uh oh, people will know that now. It only happened in 1969. <laughs> He broke this great story, folks. Trust me when I tell you. All right, everybody. You you heard it here first. 50 years later. 50 years later, he broke broke this story. story. He, before he wrote the story, he was talking to a lawyer of one of the key uh, central figures in the story, and he cut a deal with the lawyer. He said, I'll leave out of my story mention of the fact that your client, William Kelly, was interviewed by me in exchange. I want you to fact check my story. I'm going to read to you my story and you're going to fact check for me. And Mick, when he when he wrote that, it was like angels started singing. Okay, well let me let me ask about that. What did he that mean he didn't quote him at all? Did he just did he use the inform he used the information yes. Y-E-S. and we and weaved it in but he didn't quote him that directly. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's what he was concealing him because the lawyer was concerned that if he directly quotes Kelly, sure. it could hurt Kelly in his upcoming trial. Trial because they could say the other lawyer said, Well, you told this to Seymour Hirsch. And uh, so, anyway, so they cut this deal. All right. So he left out the fact that he interviewed the guy, but just used all the information. And in exchange, the lawyer fact checked his story. And as he he kind of bragged about it. But what's the one thing I kind of like about Seymour Hirsch? He's always pounding his chest. <laughs> of course. You know, I did this, I did that. But he bragged about it. He goes, My story was so accurate that people have said, Well, my God, you must have had. Uh, military records. Uh, hmm, someone's calling me. I'm gonna put that away. Um, <laughs> probably Seymour Hirsch. So, uh, <laughs> uh, 
I, the, the angels started singing, Mick, because I had had this practice for profiles. I've done this a lot. I willingly read to people the stories before I write them uh, because I want to make sure I'm right. I'd rather give up that free, I don't know what the word is I'm giving up. You know, journalists have this notion that we cannot let other people hear what we write or read what we write. I'd rather sacrifice that to make sure I got it right. And I was like, oh, wow, Seymour Hirsch does this? And then as I'm reading the book, the guy was cutting deals left and right. His whole career, he's cutting deals with his sources. You know, all right, I won't quote you, but I'll, I'll, I'll identify you in such a way sure. that people know that you're important, but not a way to give away who you are. Absolutely. So yeah. do you play those games, Young McDonald? We all do. That's how it works. I mean, I never had a sit-down interview with Rahm Emanuel, but I have had lunch and beers with um, while he was in office. Several of his top aides, several of the people who helped him craft policies. Um, I think it's important to do that. Their names didn't appear in the stories. Um, and everybody does that to some degree. We need the information. We want to make sure it's right. Uh, so that's the first part of it. And the second part is the fact-checking process. Mm -hmm. And um, my colleague, Jason Grotto, great investigative reporter, um, right now uh, really investigating the heck out of uh, the video, video gambling, um, I don't know what to call it, the mess uh, in Illinois, um, along with Dan Milopoulos from WBEZ. But I hear Jason, when he's getting ready to finish his stories, reading chunks of them over the phone to people. I don't know. He did that. Everybody does it a little different way. I, I, um, sometimes will, uh, my last story about the city council, which we discussed when I was here two weeks ago, there were, uh, paragraphs I sent to sources and said, is this worded properly? Um, other times I don't want them to tell me how, I don't want sources necessarily to tell me how to word it, but I will, basically send them the facts or I'll read the facts in some other way. I mean, so I think it depends on the context. I won't necessarily read things. I probably won't read quotes back to people, especially if I have them recorded because I know they said it and mm -hmm. people usually want to make themselves sound better and stuff like that. But the point has been, yeah, I think you're right on. I think it um, is only, first of all, we want to make sure that everything's factually accurate. So every single fact in my stories, I, I print up, old school paper printout. I go over them and I check every single fact off, um, going over it again. And if something's wrong, I circle in and make the change and then tell my editor about it. So we fix it before it goes, uh, before it's published. So, um, most journalists, at least those who have time, if certainly if you're working on a project and investigation, you'll have some kind of fact-checking process mm -hmm. like that. Well, I, I thought I was the only guy who did that because I remember when I announced way back in the early 90s I was doing that. Uh, but what are you doing that, man? But I would actually show, it was a long profile, I would literally show them. The yeah, I think, I think it depends. If it's about one person, I think that's really fair to make sure they know what's coming. Yeah. Years, well, ago, years ago, I did a profile at the Reader on James Meeks, the Southside yeah, uh, Meeks, uh, yeah. mega church pastor. Uh, later became the uh, chairman of the state board of education, um, and I wrote a long story about him. And I sent the whole thing to his uh, press person, and I said, "I want to give you a heads up. 
that this is uh, what it's going to be like and let me know if anything's wrong. And she both appreciated and was frustrated with me. She said, so we can't change anything. Well, I said, well, if it's factually inaccurate, I want to hear it, but I'm not going to, I'm not necessarily going to change it just because you don't like what I wrote. So there's a, there is a fine line. Well, there's there. a fine line. I, and we're pro- I, I, I think I propose that we're going to do a whole show. I'm going to make you and give you a homework assignment. You're going to have to read Janet Malcolm's The Journalist and the Murderer, uh, which was her epic New Yorker piece in 1989, two part story about how, what frauds journalists are and what phonies they are and what con men they are. And it had a big impact on me and how I do the business. And I'd love to have a whole show dedicated to journalistic uh, practices. Uh, but um, I, I do believe that uh, it, it is fair and a profile, a large profile. Someone's giving you all that time uh, to allow them to read it. And if most likely my experience make, they won't change anything unless it's like, a, oh, Ben, you, you spelled this wrong. Or you, you know, you, you got this wrong or uh, every now and then it's, it's something they said that they wish they hadn't said. Right. And then I'll say, Hey man, can you cut me some slack? And I'm like, okay, you know, and you know, there's, you got, I got thoughts about that because I don't believe in doing that with politicians, elected officials. They know the game. You know what I'm saying? That's why I say it depends on the story and depends on the person because a lot of politicians will try to walk back what they said, especially once they see, that you've done a lot of work um, to to either verify or contradict what they said. If you catch someone in a lie, they want to take it back. So I don't want to give permission to people to pretend that they didn't say something they did. Yeah. On the other hand, of course, we want to get things right and want to be fair to the people, even the people we don't particularly like or agree with. Um, I think you have to work even harder to be fair to them. All right. And uh, so before we leave Seymour Hirsch uh, uh, and move on to the next topic, one of the things that Seymour Hirsch did was bring back memories of the Nixon years. As many of these great investigations that Seymour Hirsch uh, engineered had to do with uh, Richard Nixon's foreign policy uh, and Henry Kissinger's foreign policy, secretly bombing Cambodia, changing White House records changing White House records so there'd be no trail of the fact that we had launched a war in Cambodia that nobody knew about, the Congress didn't know about, the people didn't know about. I'm reading this stuff, uh, spying on civilians by the CIA. Uh, I'm reading these things and it occurred to me, I knew this already, but I'd forgotten it, that Richard Milhouse Nixon may have been more deranged than Donald John Trump. So the last time you were on the show, I asked you who was worse as a mayor of the city of Chicago, uh, Richie Daly or Rahm Emanuel? As I recall, you finally said, <laughs> after much wavering, you said Rahm Emanuel was worse. Uh, in your humble opinion, who is more deranged, Richard Nixon or Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> that Dennis, he builds the momentum. Uh, well, before I answer that, uh-huh. <laughs> um, be, be mostly because I don't want to forget about this. There, I, I seem to recall um, while we're talking about Seymour Hirsch, there's a fantastic um, portrait of Seymour Hirsch in All the President's Men, Woodward and Bernstein's classic about Nixon and Watergate and everything, of course, 
where uh, they're, of course, competing with Hirsch at times uh, to get more details about Watergate and everything else. Everybody forgets that it wasn't just Woodward and Bernstein on that story. There were a lot of reporters on it. They stayed on it longer. They ended up writing the narrative, so their names are associated. But there's a great scene where they meet up with Hirsch, I think, for lunch. And um, Woodward especially, you know, as a former military officer, I think an intelligence officer, if I'm not forgetting, a a kind of um, proper guy who played by the rules for the most part. And it's just a great scene where they show up and Hirsch is a, I don't give a rat's ass kind of guy. They mention his shirt is untucked. He's wearing like old worn corduroys (laughs) or something. And that just sticks with me because I feel like that whole persona carried through his whole career. Seymour Hirsch. Yeah. Seymour Hirsch. Yeah. Um, whereas Woodward uh, is a fantastic reporter in his own right, but certain play by the book kind of uh, a different set of rules. We'll yeah. put it that way. Okay. So anyway, Trump and Nixon. More deranged. That is really hard to say. <laughs> I uh, um, I think that uh, Nixon started off less deranged, but may have ended up even more deranged than Trump, from what we know about Trump. In fairness, we've had uh, f- almost 50 years uh, to have more information seep out about Nixon, yeah. including the Nixon of his darkest days. Um, Trump, we're still getting this in real time, so... Uh, we've got a lot of hints of his derangement and um, uh, strange, uh, to say the least, decision-making processes and some of the uh, uh, things he's done. Uh, whereas Nixon, a lot of this didn't we wasn't known in real time. It was a different era. Things weren't leaked the same way. Um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go right now with Trump is more deranged, um, just because I feel like uh, what we know about Trump is. Uh, is astounding. Um, even though it's only been a couple years and it's in real time, Richard Nixon was in office for six years and we've had all this stuff. So if the cumulative effect of what we know about Rick Nixon, uh, I see your point, Ben, but for now I'm going with, uh, uh Trump's got more questions <laughs> about his, uh, mental health at this point in time. Well, one thing we don't have when it comes to Donald Trump is we don't have Trump in his own uh, voice. We have, thanks to the tapes, we right. have Nixon's own voice and you get a sense of how deranged he is. And uh, I've read enough books about Nixon. And it's so it's funny. I always forget. I read the book. I get obsessed. You know, I go through these obsessions. You know me, Mick. And then, I'm, then I realize, uh, oh, God, how crazy Nixon was. And then I forget. So this, this, this Hirsch book is a reminder of uh, how insane Richard Nixon is. I would have to say, at the moment, I'm sticking with Nixon as being more deranged than Trump because, to, to your point, we don't have Trump in his own voice. Yeah. We can't, you know, we hear what people say he says, but to actually literally hear it or read it, the transcripts, uh, we're at a disadvantage. But it seems to me that at the moment, Donald Trump is showing more restraint in terms of military excursions, military invasions, uh, than Richard Nixon did. I can't get over the fact, I just read this again, I knew it before, Mick, but I forgot, that in my lifetime, this is before you were born, so you can't say it was literally in your lifetime, uh, in my lifetime, uh, in Tim Tutton's lifetime, Richard Nixon secretly invaded other countries. Well, I think that was in my lifetime. I was born... seventy-one. I think it was in 70. Is that when he started Cambodia? Yeah. He may have, I, I may was have. born during the first 
uh, administration, the first term of Richard Nixon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I just, the bombing of Cambodia and the way they covered up the bombing by changing records uh, and then lying when reporters came calling, Henry Kissinger would lie and then he would call the editors of the reporters to say so-and-so, you know, is tr- causing trouble. And then the editors would say, you better, I, they, they would call the reporter on the carpet because Henry Kissinger called them up. The whole, like, the complicit nature and oh, sure. establishment. No, but and I'm not going to disagree with you, other than to say we just don't know everything that's going on now. It hasn't been declassified. We don't hear everything. Um, uh, you're right that uh, as far as we know, we're not embroiled in other conflicts. Now Nixon did inherit Vietnam, um, not necessarily the Cambodia part of of the conflict, but he didn't start that war. Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's troubling. I mean, Nixon was uh, basically probably um, probably uh, derailed a peace agreement. Um, Take probably out of he that. He did sentence. help derail a peace agreement. That was uh, treason during, during the uh, during the 1968 campaign yeah. um, to help his cause. There's also a, 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 an astounding scene in the final days by the aforementioned Woodward and Bernstein. It's the little known follow up to all the president's yeah. men. In my view, it's it's Superior. even better book. Yeah, Bernstein um, pretty much wrote the whole thing. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where uh, Rich. Richard Nixon is wandering the hallways of of the White House, looking at the portraits of other presidents and apparently drunk and having conversations with them. Yeah. Uh, there were people close to him uh, when Watergate was uh, was really heating up before he resigned who were worried that he might commit suicide. So uh, this is all in favor of your argument that Nixon had some real issues going on as well. And I want to say one other thing before we uh, leave the topic, which is... Um, we were just talking about journalistic ethics and integrity. You know, as a reporter, I'm not really supposed to be weighing in on Donald Trump's derangement. Now, I don't cover the White House. I don't cover Donald Trump. So um, uh, it's people will probably say that it was unfair. It's probably something I shouldn't have said on the air, Ben, in my position, because um, as a, a reporter, you're, you know, we investigate policies, but we don't really we're not really supposed to weigh in on whether we think someone is deranged or not. That like, you're, you're looking at me with a perplexed look. I but. am totally perplexed. If Donald Trump said, like just picking the, the, the today's evidence, okay? It was a tweet uh, Dennis read to me. I actually didn't see it, but he read it to me. I think the tweet was Russia, 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 Russia. Was that not the tweet? It's like some kind of 60s, <laughs> home by beatniks russia 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 this is the president gertrude of the united stein. states he's a regular gertrude stein mick yeah. i believe as a reporter i have the right to look up at the sky and if it's blue to say the sky is blue that is not opinion all right if the president of the united states tweets russia 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 i have the right as a reporter. listen i said it i said it on the air i'm just i'm because i'm that's deranged ultimately i'm with you um i don't know if derangement is is you know officially what it is there's something going on with this person he's not a normal president um i'm troubled by his uh leadership uh on so many levels that by the way my colleagues uh in in new york city and washington have investigated so i'm right with you i'm just talking about journalism and journalistic ethics 
And uh, you're a columnist. You've been a columnist for years now, and you are used to calling it exactly as you, as <laughs> yeah. you see it. Yeah, it's a it's a different spot for people who work full time as reporters who aren't columnists, especially investigative reporters. And um, I'm just saying that's right, that's a reality. Uh, that that is a reality, and we'll leave with breaking news. And I'll get your improv, your Here total reaction. You probably saw this because you you have the good phone. Uh, thanks to Dennis, he's got a really nice phone. By the way, I wish you could see this. This is a nice phone. I mean, it's no iPhone five like yours. <laughs> this is a handsome phone you got there, young man. Well, thank you, Alderman Ed Burke, top political aide charged with racketeering and federal bribery case. We're gonna Mick. We're gonna end the show the way we began. Wow. Eddie Burke, the embattled Alderman, is top political aide Peter Andrews have been charged with racketeering in a bribery case involving a Lake Forest developer. Apparently, the story. Is not going anywhere soon. Uh, it's going somewhere. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's going very away clear. soon. Yeah, not going away. Wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, this will be something that I'm sure we'll get to when we're at the hideout. Uh, and one more time, we'll be at the hideout Tuesday, June fourth, six thirty. Sarah Carp. Alden Lowry be our guest. From WBEZ, both great reporters, great people. Uh, we'll have lots to say both about the Rahm Emanuel era and about being reporters in 2019. Absolutely. The Rahm Emanuel era as he goes on his tour to revise absolutely everything. Uh, Mick, it's a blast talking to you. I love doing it so much. I not only do it on my <laughs> podcast, on the stage at the hideout, but about once a week on the phone. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we do this in our free time, too. Yeah. So. Very good. That's All great. right. Great transition to your next guest, too. All right. Very yeah. good. Young Timmy Tutton is on deck. We're going to bring him on. Thank you very much, Mick Dumkey. I'll see you soon. Very good. Take care, everybody.